0: Sami Shah, thank you for submitting to this involuntary interrogation.
1: My pleasure. Trust no one. The level of sedition,
2: anti-authority behaviour and advertiser unfriendly thought crime has reached record levels, especially amongst Australia's elites.
0: Treason.
2: Luckily, the men and men of The Chaser... Have been commissioned by Border Force to conduct interrogations and sort out the subversives from the Patriots. Betrayal! In conjunction with ASIO and the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Protocols, this is extreme vetting with The Chaser. The Chaser!
0: Charles, our guest today is a comedian from Pakistan. Oh dear. His name is Sami Shah. His new book is The Islamic Republic of Australia.
2: It's the Koran of comedy.
0: thing is, he's very erudite, very clever. All the long words, he's toured all through the UK, Australia, done shows for the BBC and Radio National. He's got all this complex understanding of the causes of terrorism, exactly the sort of thing Peter Dutton told us not to try to understand. Fear complexity. They're just trying to trick you with their long words. I hate complexity. Here's a border and here's force. That's all you need to know. Charles, today we have two missions. First, get enough dirt to put him away. And second, not to laugh at any of his witty jokes.
2: Well, I think that'll be easy because nothing's funny when it comes to
1: border protection. What is your full name? Uh, Sayyid Sami Ullah Shah. Um, and that is right. scary sounding,
2: I know. Um, hey, I'm just going to write that down I'll on the form. Um, break it
1: down for you. Sayyid yeah. Sayyed means, um, it's a title, and honorific if you will, uh, it means it's like mister, uh, but it means that I'm a male descendant of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Congratulations! Um, oh, thank you very much, I'm very proud of that I, I worked very hard to achieve this um, it's also a thing that basically anyone if they want to bump their family up in the social scene, just kind of Attaches it to their name. So I, my theory is a few hundred years ago, one of my ancestors was like, I don't get invited to enough parties. I'll call myself Sayyid. And suddenly the invites side pouring in. Sami is one of the 99 names of Allah. So it means the all hearing. My parents named me that.
2: Well, it's just very useful from a border force perspective if you're all hearing.
1: It is. It is. I could be an asset to border force, I feel. Mm. if, um, But they never replied to my application form. Well, that's why we here, Sami. That's. Uh, is this an HR interview? <laughs> It could be. All right. It, look, this could, that, that's could go the good one outcome. outcome.
2: One of two ways. Mm-hmm.
1: Either I get a job or I get a rubber hand up my bum, basically. Well, um, they're case, both good at, yeah, both outcomes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good Thursday <laughs> evening, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, Ulla is the middle initial, which everyone's got one useless, crappy one that doesn't mean anything.
0: Like, and like Donald J. Trump.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. Like J. Like the J. So, J. This okay. is mine is the U. Okay. Um, and then Shah means king. Um, like the Shah of Iran, like the Shah of Iran. That's right, but without the um the financial backing of the CIA.
0: So perhaps lasting a little longer.
1: Yeah, maybe actually, now that I think about it, it might be a good thing, yes. Yes, how old are you? thirty eight years old?
2: So the right side of forty?
1: yes, I've, I feel i'm I'm like, I'm well, okay, I said thirty eight next month I turn thirty nine. so i'm I'm right on the edge of thirty eight.
2: So does that mean you're virgo?
1: Yeah, that, why do you know that?
0: A lot of Australians take astrology very seriously. Oh, do Sammy, they? In the supermarket magazine. So you just, just bear that in mind. Uh, new idea. It wasn't Wednesday. the citizenship
1: test. Like this is part of the cultural thing that Peter Dutton needs to be rolling out. We're adding this. it in, actually. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But are they going to be just particularly Australian star signs? It's
2: not a bad idea. Maybe all the star signs should be just the Southern
1: Cross. Yeah,
0: again just and again and again. Everything southern over and over. You yeah. just keep
1: getting that. Where were you born, Sammy? Uh, I was born in the city of Karachi. Um, It is the largest city in Pakistan, a city of 26 million people. Uh, That's, I think, two, two and a half million more than Australia has overall. Um, So that was in my one city. So the whole city was bigger than Australia in population. In population, yes. Definitely not an area. I don't think anything's bigger than Australia in area. But uh, in population, yes, 26 million people crammed into one place. Uh, Not much silence in my life.
0: What was it like growing up there?
1: It's no different from growing up in any big city. So it's, uh, you know, you're still going to school and you're still going to high school and you're still, you know, driving cars as a teenager, you know, hoping to not get caught and you're still, you know, buying alcohol from a bootlegger, which is the only way you get alcohol in Pakistan. Um, and you're smoking joints and then the cop stops you and you have to bribe them and then there's a terror attack outside your high school exam and so you have to wait until the bodies are removed before your parents can come and pick you up. So, you know, standard. <laughs> we had a spate, a short spate of terror attacks in the 80s very short but the bigger problem throughout the 80s and early 90s was gang warfare uh which became very common um between some of the political parties in Karachi. and then that involved you know people being shot in the streets and dead bodies and actual just like i remember i was giving my geography exam high school exam um and outside the school there was people being shot and tires burning and ambulances and police cars, and then we had to wait for three hours before things were moved and cleared enough for the parents to come pick us up. And what does that do for your nerves? um, Strengthens them. (laughs) It makes you far more tolerant of uh, BS, I think. I've got this weird thing where, and I don't mean to cost like, racial aspersions but you know a lot of my white friends have anxiety and they're like oh my anxiety is really acting up and I don't know a single brown person or black person who has anxiety like we have trauma, PTSD <laughs> but anxiety it's like hey, alright dude like go hug a pillow and move on with the day already So you
0: think yeah. white people need to
1: toughen up, up as a little a bit
0: <laughs> Yeah, Is that just, perhaps why there are all these bombings increasingly in, in the west? Yes that's the social service Helping westerners acclimatize and become more resilient
1: Um, no, but I don't think that's the motivation behind Isis is uh, thinking there where they're like, you know, we're just trying to help you along. Yeah, no, but I do think that unfortunately the way the world is going, it is something that's going to have to happen where your social anxiety of like, oh, I can't go outside today because I feel the stresses of the price of an avocado are too much for me to handle will be replaced by, there's a terror attack, but I still got to get my job done. So I'm going to go to work.
0: How close have you
1: come to
0: being caught in a terror incident?
1: Fairly close many times. Um, The biggest one was when I was working as a journalist in Pakistan and there was a terrorist attack on the former prime minister, now deceased prime minister, Benazir Bhutto's um, convoy as she had returned to the country. And after an eight year exile, 150 people died there. I was the first news producer on site. Um, and uh, got there like basically a few minutes after it happened. Um, so that one was very traumatic and um, very upsetting, and I've kind of blocked off everything I saw over there for a long time. Uh, but other than that, there's a lot of things like driving through an intersection once, I remember. Like, yeah, just coming home from work, driving through an intersection, go maybe quarter of a kilometer ahead, and there's a massive explosion that literally lifts your car off the ground. Everyone's cars lift up and slam back down again because terrorists have slammed a a van full of bombs into a building in the back because there's a government building there. And and then you just kind of go home going, well, if there'd been like 10 more cars ahead of me, I would have died in that attack. That's something that happens a lot where you're just like, I'm alive again. So, yeah. Why did you decide to come to Australia? Why not, right? Like, it's great here. (laughs) Like, that's the big thing about Australia. It's pretty freaking great here. Even when it's shit, it's really great here. Um, Like, even when we're like, oh, the economy's in the toilet and everyone's dying. It's still beautiful and sunny outside and really nothing's that bad.
2: So, when did you decide to come?
1: Oh, 2007. Uh, My now ex-wife was studying here. She went to Monash University in Melbourne for one year and I visited her while she was there and we both came back from that experience going, oh my God, Melbourne's the best place on earth, Um, Mm. which is a statement I still stand by. Sorry, Sydney. Um, I I sure also say, sorry, Perth, Adelaide and Brisbane, but really, even if they think they're in that same league, it's hilarious. Um, And then you just, uh, yeah, and then you just begin the application process and the Department of Immigration quickly processes it all over the next three to five years. What
2: visa did you come in on?
1: Uh, Visa 475B. Now, you might be thinking I'm saying it wrong. It's 457. No, 475B is a lesser known visa Mm. that allows you entry into Australia, but you have to spend uh, the first two years living and working in a regional country town. So, like Melbourne or something? Well, no. Well, here's the thing. You're joking about that. But I got a regional town in Western Australia. That's what I was given. Oh, yeah. right? So I was not allowed to live in Perth. Oh, they choose for you. They don't choose the town, they give you the area codes. Right. right. So within these, so anywhere outside of Perth, between Perth and Kalgoorlie, I could live. Um, I'm from Pakistan. Pakistan's pretty low down the list of shitty countries of the world. So that's where I ended up. One of my close friends is from Venezuela. At the time, 2012, Venezuela was ranked higher in the world in terms of shitty countries. Still a shitty country, not as shitty as Pakistan. These days, though, it switched. But um, because of that, he got Adelaide. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. His regional country town was Adelaide.
0: So when you found yourself in rural WA, mm-hmm. did you find yourself uh, missing Karachi to an unexpected degree, by contrast?
1: Um, look, I'll, I... I did. <laughs> I mi- I missed the noise. I missed the hustle bustle. I missed the food. I missed being able to get food at like after 5 p.m. I missed there being more food options than that one Chinese restaurant that seems to come standard with every country town in Australia. Um, and I might have actually said that loudly in front of a newspaper once that the town's a bit of a social, cultural black hole, which might not have gone over very well with the town locals and I might have to spend the next three years rebuilding my relationship with them. But at the same time, the safety, the security, the peace, the quiet, the the peace of mind, all those things that Country WA provides you with cannot be underestimated. So was there
2: any moment where you and your partner thought we've made a terrible, terrible mistake?
1: Day one of living in Northern, <laughs> right. um, there, there were there were definitely moments. There were definitely moments, especially in the first six months. It was hard. Um, you know when like did, a brown did, snake comes into your apartment, into your house, as you're sitting in the toilet and you just watch it slithering in, around in your kitchen, and you have to get a shovel and get rid of it. Um, How does that compare
0: to suicide bombings in terms of scary?
1: See, suicide bombing, a bo- suicide bomb. You can't predict it. It just happens when it happens, and boom, and you're dead. I have to now, I'm in the toilet. So first got to take care of business, (laughs) wash my hands and everything. All the while keeping an eye on a brown snake. Then go outside, get the shovel, come back inside. Then battle the brown snake to death. And then get rid of his body. First time I saw my first Huntsman, I thought it was a face hugger from the Alien franchise. Um, Now I'm more used to them. I pick them up and everything. It's not an issue. So you know how to kill. I can fight to the death with the best of them now. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, I've, i I know how to survive uh, rural Australia. And did you have any friends in? Northam? Like. I did. I made some really good friends. Ones I'm still in touch with regularly, very close friends. Um, uh, 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 several farmers, it was a big farming town. Um, and really, I mean, I'm just people I value a lot. Uh, a lot of people who work for Border Force now, actually, um, who started working for a private corporation that, because there was a big detention center on the outskirts of town, as you would know, of course, mm. um, called Yonga Hill. And um, so a lot of the town was employed there. And then those people got jobs in the Department of Immigration and then went on. And I know I you don't live them. there anymore.
0: We can yeah. reveal now that the whole of Northam is actually an open air detention center.
1: Oh, no, no. Everyone knows that. Believe me, there's no mystery to that. Anyone in Northam is like, yeah, I was not. I was put here. <laughs> yeah. I can assure you.
2: And how did you turn a buck while living uh-huh. in the <laughs> shitty regionals?
1: Um yeah. I used to drive to Perth. It was a two-hour drive. And do comedy in Perth. I would then drive back or i drive to Kalgoorlie. I'd drive to. I basically drove to every country town in Western Australia from the Pilbara all the way down to Kalgoorlie just doing gigs. Um,
0: Sorry, so. Sammy, can we just uh, take a moment? We'll mm-hmm. just uh, step outside for a second.
1: Sure He's a comedian.
0: I know, this is a real
2: threat, isn't it? Oh, we've seen a few of these types before. I think barbed satire is one of the greatest threats.
0: Oh, look, I mean, comedy tweets could bring down the government. That's one of Peter Dutton's greatest fears. Yeah. Sammy, yes. uh, comedy, you say, this is uh, this is interesting. So, I mean, to be perfectly blunt with you, your Islamic background is a red flag in your file, but yeah. uh, this idea that you do comedy and satirical comedy, that is frankly more concerning to us. Can you tell
1: us? Um, you this- already rejected my visa once based on that. <laughs> um, I was invited in 2006, 2007 to perform at the um, Cockatoo Island Comedy Festival in Sydney. Oh, the world's funniest island! That's yeah. right. and John, they had P- John Pinder. That's um, right, John Pinder. He found yeah. me online somehow and contacted I never got to meet him. It was, a, it was a real tragedy, but he found me on the internet somehow, contacted me, said, I'm setting up this big comedy festival and I'd love for you to come and perform there. Um, and he bought me tickets. He booked two nights. They sold, I think, 800 tickets or something crazy like that, saying, Pakistan's first stand-up comedian coming to Australia, blah, 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 was going to be a big deal. And um, my visa never came. Just just never came. And it turns out that the uh, Australian Immigration Department was uh, worried about the security concerns associated with the Pakistani comedian, because apparently, well, Al-Qaeda at the time, not ISIS, was using comedy as a front? I don't know what their big thinking was, that I was trained in like the comedy clay caves of Jalalabad or something, but yeah.
2: Jokes are a huge security risk uh, in Australia.
1: Is it, it because the language around bombing on stage? Is that what the problem well, is? That's
0: probably part of it. But We, look, we heard that, that you killed it.
1: <laughs> I died. I've killed. Yeah. I've
0: bombed. I've done all of them. Yeah, Do you know those <laughs> signs that at the airport that say jo- "Do not joke about security." It's a serious matter.
1: Yes, mm. which is the worst thing you can do to a comedian because now the first thing every comedian in the airport's itching to do is joke about security.
0: Well, that same mm. approach to humour is across the whole immigration department, and indeed border force. So we've mm-hmm. we retired from comedy on taking this job.
1: Oh, you're not allowed to. Absolutely
0: even. not. No, no.
1: But like, all right. So, some immigrant comes in from some developing nation and they've got a name that's 73 syllables long, 15 umlauts, no vowels. You're going to make some jokes. This is Australia. You can't not make some a, a completely inappropriate jokes about no, that. No,
2: we just write the word John. Oh, right, that's fair. Yeah. Well, you, you've
1: <laughs>
0: that met, uh, you're familiar probably with our boss, Peter Dutton. Mm-hmm. This is Ooh. a man who, who, there's no humor there at all.
1: No, 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 he, he, he does not. I don't think he understands jokes. We've all had to have our sense of humour surgically removed on
2: working for Border mm. Force. It's an unpleasant procedure, but... They didn't find any... Um, in him? If, no, in me.
1: Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they,
2: yeah, I didn't have to have mine removed. Just
1: opened you up when I was yeah. hollow and close you back down again. Yep. Right, all all
2: cool. those years with a chaser, it was, it was long gone. <laughs> it's a tragedy, it really
0: is. So, um, you started in, in Pakistan. Why mm-hmm. did you decide to become a stand-up comic?
1: Because I had that same toxic mix of narcissism and um, paranoia that every stand-up comedian around the world has. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. It's a calling. Um, you need a, a absent father. Um, you need a overblown sense of self-importance. And you need deep, deep-seated insecurities. All of these three elements clashing together and bouncing around in your skull produce a comedian. And that's true of any co- comic in the world. But you were the first. In, in I was the first English stand-up comedian, yes. Mm. There's a comedy scene there. And it's very based in sketch comedy. A very funny, politically dark sketch comedy. Um, no one had done English stand-up before in the way that American style of stand-up. Um, I was the first one. Then there have been many others since. And there still are going on. Um, so, yeah. so how did
2: you organize your first
1: gig? Um, you Basically, I spent six months writing and practicing in front of the mirror. And I then booked an auditorium. I sold 350 tickets. Um to just anyone who'd buy him, and then I got up on stage and did an hour of comedy you make like it sound quite easy and in retrospect the amount of sheer hubris involved in that and the amount of ego involved in that I am shocked at what a disgusting person I am but at the time I, I remember I vomited just before going on stage I did the first joke and if that first joke had failed I never would have done anything else after that but it worked and I just kept going until I finished an hour what was that first joke? oh I remember it too um, so in Pakistan, it's a very cultural thing, but in very particular to the time and place in Pakistan, for some reason, everyone had started seeing GT, which is get together. Instead of saying, Hey, let's have a get together. People would say, let's go to a GT. GTs were cool things that people did suddenly. Presumably that didn't mean gin and tonic. No, not at all. But there were GTs at GTs. Right. And the, the name GT annoyed me. And so I did a joke about, um, like, is this what's happening to language now, where it's just become everything's an abbreviation? It's, you know, now you, when you meet a girl, it's not, hey, how are you doing? Fine, thanks, yourself. It's H-H-Y-D, F-T-Y. And then, you know, just language keeps deteriorating from there until all you're left with is caveman grunts. And then you walk up to a girl in a, in a restaurant, you're like, <laughs> and that's it. So that was the um, big joke. Um, I was very proud of having written it, and I crafted every syllable of it, and I still remember it, it 12 years later.
0: That's a very impressive have man grunt by. The Thank way.
1: you very much. I practice mm-hmm. that one a lot. There was, uh, there was the, <laughs> and then you thump your chest.
0: That's almost as good as Peter Dutton's.
1: <laughs> you guys are going to get fired <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs> Is he laughing at Peter
1: Dutton? No, 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 no.
0: no, 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 no. Professional
1: respect.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: right? yeah. yeah, So Sammy, from that, you went on to be uh, Pakistan's John Stewart. You had a TV show. Mm-hmm. So your hubris continued for many years, and, you, and your bravery. Mm. How did you? Uh, get that started
1: um again it's all ego <laughs> everything's ego involved i basically i always want i loved the daily show i was in um you know i used to watch it online and everything everyone loved the daily show around the world and i was obsessed with it i wanted to do the same kind of a thing but i was like you need a team of writers and all of that and then i discovered a podcast called the bugle I don't know if you heard of it. It's Andy Zoltzman yeah, yeah, and yeah. John Oliver. And they used to do it. And it was just the two of them. And in my estimation, it was as funny as The Daily Show. But it was two people just writing a weekly thing. And I was like, wait, maybe I can do a single person weekly show and make it as funny. But it's just one once a week. And so I came up with News Weekly, W-E-A-K-L-Y, was my big pun that I am still proud of. And... Um, and yeah, I used to write, uh, basically, because I worked for a news channel anyway, I was a journalist, I was a news producer, so I had all the associated press feeds coming in, I had all the news station feeds coming in, I used to have a one terabyte hard disk, I'd go every day, just gather all the footage from the week, um, I'd sit down on a Friday evening at 6pm and just write until Saturday morning, 8am and write the entire episode, go into the studio at 9am, record the episode, take the footage home, take a nap, get up, edit all Saturday night, all day Sunday, and put it on air Monday morning, um, Monday evening, sorry, it would go to air, and I did that for 32 episodes, and then um, the government shut me down. Oh. But I made fun of the wrong politician. Because
0: <laughs> we used to do that kind of thing with, you know, a team of 20 or 30 people. Yeah. Working on... Uh, things like hamster wheel or chaser show so mm-hmm. it must have absolutely. you must have been pr- about ready to finish after 32 episodes I, it anyway. was,
1: honestly no it was the happiest i've ever been it was i could not have been happier like i am a news junkie like i love that's what i love like my form of like this year in in the melbourne comedy festival i was like i'm only gonna do a silly show just silly jokes frivolous jokes just light humor and it was my most political show to date like, no matter what I try, I can't help but be political in my comedy. It's just the way my brain goes, my sensibilities, and and that learning how to do that. And over thirty two episodes, you know, sharpening my skills and everything, and then having complete control, which as an egomaniac is my dream. I get to write it, shoot it, edit it. I did the animations, I did the graphics, I did I did the video editing, I did the sound design, I did everything on that show. I used to write a rap song. Every now and then, and then I'd go and record it the next day as well, and then edit it, and then put random effects. It, like I, it was the best. I, I was the happiest.
2: And how did the how did the government shut you down? Like what did that look like?
1: Well, basically, there was a politician who was the U.S. Pakistani ambassador to the United States at the time, and his sister owned the news channel, and. Up until then, they, uh, I'd made fun of a lot of the politicians, and the politicians had approached the news station and said, we don't like being mocked on the news channel. had been like, well, we're going to stand up for our guy. He's our guy. But when I made fun of the news station's owner's brother, he called her up, and he's like, shut the show. She's like, yeah, okay, cool. And, and uh, they
2: would just came up to you and said...
1: They said, yeah, the show's not happening anymore. So I was like, well... I knew it was only a matter of time. Um, and so it was, when it happened, it wasn't a surprise. Because the the more popular the show get, the more got the more um, uh, criticism and hate it received from politicians and religious groups.
2: Many death threats.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. In retrospect, too many. That was a thing where because um, I did that, and when the TV show was taken off, then I started writing a, a, a satirical editorial column for a newspaper, and then that became very popular, and I got a lot of death threats from that one, uh, because print is still strong in Pakistan as a news medium, and. Um, and at the time, I was like, eh, I'm laughing it off, whatever. Like, there was a bit of paranoia whenever I'd be at a traffic light and a motorcycle would pull up next to me. I'd be like, what if this guy had a Klashnikov and now shot me up the way they do? And I'm like, it's not going to happen. But a part of your brain is like, maybe it will happen. And, and you got to get used to that. And then... um the ISI, which is the uh, Inter-Services Intelligence um, in Pakistan, the CIA of the Pakistan, of Pakistan, they sent a message to a senior journalist saying, tell him to stop criticizing us so much or else. And I remember being like going, why will they care about me? I'm just a comedian. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And my friend was like, shut up. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Shut up. Um, so I kind of... Um, that's around the time my visa to Australia came so I moved here and then a few years after that another one of my friends who used to get death threats as well got shot at um, and he is now living in America and on an asylum visa and then another friend of ours who was also getting death threats got shot at and killed um, and in retrospect I probably should have taken those death threats more seriously but at the time I just didn't um, yeah Just let's just take a
0: moment, Charles can we just step outside for a second sure if the Pakistani security forces were threatening him, mm. we need to watch this guy. Like, those guys know what they're talking about. Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. There are no idle threats from the ISI. Yeah. Well, they helped um, hide bin Laden all those years for us, so... OK. Let's get onto the book, shall we, the real reason why we're here. Yeah, sure. I haven't actually read it, but... Um, of course not. No. But have you seen the cover?
1: There's a lot to talk about there.
2: Now, Sammy...
0: Um, yes. The real reason that you're here, mm-hmm. quite apart from all the The other
1: joyous stuff that I've experienced. The comedy
0: stuff is Mm -hmm. concerning um, and, of course, your your background as a Pakistani is suspicious in general. The book, The Islamic Republic of Australia. Mm. Now, Pauline Hanson (laughs) gave us the book and uh, she said she hadn't opened it, so we haven't opened it either. Mm -hmm. She's a big source for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But based on the cover, she believes you want to turn Australia Into the Islamic Republic of Australia, than I'm in the book.
1: One of the big feedbacks I've gotten is that at least it becomes a republic. (laughs) Uh, so people seem to be positive about that part at least. Um, there's nothing better than Pauline Hansen literally judging a book by its cover. I mean, it says everything you need to know. Also, I'm deeply grateful for the sales boost the book received after she um, posted it up on her Facebook page. So what did she say exactly? She basically posted up the picture of the book on sale in a Dimex and said, look at what Dimmux is selling now. And and here's the thing. The book is actually the perspective of an atheist ex-Muslim, which is myself, Um Talking to Muslims in Australia and non-Muslims and critic and critics of Islam in Australia and trying to find the happy middle ground of like both of you are wrong. Um, there's issues with the Muslim community and there's definitely issues with the criticisms of the Muslim community. And let's see and and trying to explain to both sides what they're about and also trying to just provide a primer for what Islam in Australia actually is all about.
0: Sami, I find that a little suspicious, because yeah, what not. was Pauline Hansen doing in a bookshop?
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot happening there, there that is very questionable on many levels. Um, it is, look, uh, the, the cool thing about the feedback from that was that it is identical to the feedback I got from uh, Islamic extremists uh, when the book came out which is a lot of death threats and a lot of like, you know, the the streets will run red with your blood. I don't have that much blood, like, to fill a street, like maybe a laneway at best, but that's it. You live in Maryland. So yeah, It's yeah. probably the most likely outcome. Yeah, exactly.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. You call yourself an ex-Muslim. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you become an atheist rather than the correct answer, which is a Christian?
1: Ah, <laughs> also something many people have taken up uh, as a point of contention with this book. Um because i basically the same reason why many people become atheists right like you actually sit down and read the text when you actually sit down and read the old testament or the new testament or the quran or the bhagavad gita or whatever you're like this is nonsense like this is really not relevant to life in 2017 mm. it's entirely made up by people living thousands of years ago it was cool for them at the time it's a great you know fantasy anthology but it's really not anything more than that and yeah
2: but you are a muslim In terms of your background. Yes. So, I was
1: born a Muslim. I grew up a Muslim. Um, You
2: you know a lot about
1: I know. Yeah, a lot. I also studied it extensively um, in my, you know, attempts to understand it deeper and also then to contradict it and refute it. So, So you are a cultural Muslim. I'm definitely a cultural
0: Muslim. So, we only know you and waleed ali and he's won a gold logie now so he's completely above reproach Mm -hmm. so we're gonna have to take you as representative of all muslims of
1: course that's what everyone does not a problem i i like most of the reason why this book was written was because every time tv people would approach me for projects they would be like so you're a muslim i'm like actually i'm an atheist so you're a muslim i'm like no but i i just said i'm an atheist So like well, Ramadan is happening and you're a Muslim. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I literally wrote a book to point out I'm not a Muslim. And the first thing I got in all the hate messages was, I'm sick of you Muslims coming here. I'm like, no one reads. I don't know why I'm trying for nuance in 2017.
0: So, oh, yeah. as the only Muslim that Border Force is aware of. <laughs>
1: yes, of course. We have
0: a list of questions um, from Peter Dutton himself, actually. Okay. And so there are just things that he wants to know. I'm happy Charles. to help mm. any way
1: I can.
2: Have you got the list? Yep. Uh, so, what is a halal?
1: What is a halal? Um, A halal is a form of certification or requirement. It just means permissible. It means that things you're allowed to do. So um, you can eat meat if it's prepared in a halal way, which means that you have to... Like say the prayer before cutting the animal's throat or whatever. If you're a Sunni Muslim, you can have halal sex, which means no bum stuff. If you're a Shia Muslim, you can have bum stuff as well because Shias are dirtier. As a, as a former Shia myself, I can attest to that. Um, there's all many things are halal and and yeah, it's not. But it is um, not a funding source for ISIS. Actually, the um,
0: the bum stuff reminds me of another question. Mm-hmm. Why does Vegemite have to be halal?
1: I don't know that one, to be very honest, because as far as I know, well, I, you know what, I think because it might contain um, a gluten, some gluten is created from um, pig fat, and therefore people who are Muslims who are really particular particular about the halal stuff, which are many Muslims, um, they want no pig fat even in their Vegemite or anything like that. So they had to get halal certification. I think also for export purposes, things like that. It's no so different from kosher. Um, my personal opinion is it's all ridiculous. Halal, kosher, all of it. Just eat whatever the hell it is. I've eaten grasshoppers in Bangkok. I don't know whether those was halal or kosher or not, but they were pretty crunchy and delicious. So um, none of it matters. But if you're going to, you know, make a big noise about it, then that's up to you, how you want to live your life.
0: Okay, so back to Peter Dutton's list here. Mm-hmm. Why do you hate women?
1: Um, why do I hate women? That's a very good question. I didn't know I did hate women. <laughs> until this came along. Um, I think if, um, if if being disrespectful towards women and 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 for example you know hitting women uh, cursing at women, yelling at women and all of those things is something that Muslims do, then a majority of Australia is Muslim based on domestic abuse stats based on the kind of um, treatment that women receive just when they walk out on the street, things like that. So we're already in the Islamic Republic of Australia just based on that alone.
2: Uh, Can I just see you outside for a second, Dom?
1: He's undoing us with his logic. What are we going to do?
2: You know, I was looking through his book and it's full of logic bombs. It's safer not to read it, Dom. There's a picture
0: of a kangaroo on it. It's quite hard not to read it. Wait a minute. Did you say logic bombs? He's armed. He is armed. Okay, Sammy, look, you seem to know a lot about this sort of stuff. Uh, What is your favourite beer? And Peter Dutton says, if not 4X, why not?
1: Um, I've tried 4X, it's not bad I'm not uh, VB is great and, and all that But I spent a lot of time in WA um, Most of the Some of the best gigs in Western Australia Are from the Little Creatures Brewery They have a really nice comedy room And some of the best audiences And when you go there as a comedian You can drink all the beer you want for free So a Little Creatures Pale Ale For me is just, that's his home
2: I've got a, a glass of Little Creatures Pale Ale here Yes um, will you please drink it to prove you're Australian? Loud. Are we recording?
0: The cameras. Okay.
1: <sighs> refreshing. <laughs> I so wanted them to sponsor me, and I approached them so many times for festival shows that never did, man.
0: So either you genuinely like beer, yeah. or you're really, really undercover.
1: No, I I like beer. I've never. I didn't used to like beer when I first came to Australia. Um, I had beer a few times in Bangkok and stuff. And in Pakistan, you get really terrible beer. There's actually one brewery in the whole country called Murray Beer, and they make the beer. And they because they have a license still, and they export it largely, but you get it in the country, and it's not great. And and I came to Australia. I had American beer. Oh. It's the worst. It's yeah. ju- it's just piss. Like it's not even like piss in the ironic way. No, it's it literally is piss. And then I had uh, an IPA, and then I had. Um, all the different types of beers, lagers and things like that. And then all these craft beers that Australia is suddenly creating. And I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff.
0: You know more about beer than I do. <laughs>
1: yeah, sorry, I really got into it for a while. So the um, in Northam, there's a, there's a, there's several bottlers, But one of them, you know, in country towns in Australia, there's all these weird hobbyists they all leave the big cities and go in the corner and just build giant warships out of paper plates or whatever that they do with their lives. But one guy in town was an IPA addict and he only got the best from the world and imported them. He taught me. Yeah, <laughs> Now, just
2: uh, going back to the Peter Dutton questions, mm-hmm. have you ever accused anyone of looking like a potato? Because that's a very unkind thing to do, especially when they do look like a potato.
1: Um, it is harsh and I'm sure it can be seen as a form of racial vilification towards mm. potatoes. I have accused potatoes of looking at like Peter Dutton and they didn't enjoy that at all. All oh, right, okay. Yeah.
0: All I'd say is, and this is the official response, potatoes have eyes everywhere. Oh. Peter told to that. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, his yeah. favourite joke.
1: He spent many months coming up with that one. Now, look, we don't know much,
0: Sammy, about Muslims in Australia. Obviously, we're part of the department that's in charge of all this stuff. Yeah, so of course. What we can't understand, us and the rest of Border Force, is why anyone lucky enough to grow up in the home of Australian Ninja Warrior would want to be radicalized. And you've looked into this a bit. How does this happen? um,
1: So, there's many reasons. There's no simple one reason or anything. A lot of it has to do with... um, I have to figure out how to... Because there's a lot of things I want to cram into a a short space. I realize this is Um, about
0: a quarter of the book.
1: Yeah, literally, there is. This is a huge <laughs> chapters on this, um, but, but, but we refuse to read the books. Of course no. Why? Why not? On, on principle, I refuse to write it. Like, it's fine. Even I haven't read it to be honest. Um, uh, so, the entire seventh chapter is just all work and no play makes Sam a dull boy again and again. Um, what happens is, first, there is a cultural gap. Um, immigrant communities when they come to Australia from other parts of the world, they come here and a lot of the parents, a lot of the the adults when they come here, try integrating. Some of them will not make that effort or they will um, be frightened away by the Western lifestyle. And this is not just true of Muslim communities. This also happened in Vietnamese communities. It happened in Italian communities and all those. Um, Their kids then grow up. And this is a very tiny, tiny percentage. Their kids then grow up. um, Not being recognized as Australian enough because their parents at home don't even speak the language as such um, and don't integrate into the culture much. And so the kids grow up not being Australian enough and not being Pakistani enough or, or Lebanese enough or any of those things because they're immigrants at the end of the day. They're expats. So when they, if they try going back, they're not going to fit in there. If they're here, they're not going to fit in here. So there's a sense of alienation. The problem isn't that sense of alienation. That happens to many immigrant communities. The problem is what fills that gap that they have. In some communities, it can be filled by being sent off into a deep dive. A lot of Italian communities do this, where they send their kids back to the grandparents in in the old country, and they have to spend a few years there, or Vietnam, or things like that. Uh, In some of the Muslim communities, it's not possible. You can't send your kids back to Syria, or Iraq, or Afghanistan, or Pakistan, because they might die there. And so that creates a sense of anger an alienation because now they're thinking they're like i don't fit in here the place i, I might fit in there's being bombed to dust and that creates that thing and then they go online and and when you're young, you're stupid, you're angry, and you have all these issues that you want to address, and everything wants to be make sense because you're young, and, and young people are just dumb most of the time, and so they go on the internet and they'll watch like an ISIS documentary that's really slickly made that says, you know what, it's not fair what's happening to us, and you should do something about it, and they and they like get riled up and they decide to do something about it. The way to combat that is. It doesn't even take like, like major deep dives into Australian culture or anything like that. You just have to provide a wider base of education. You have to teach them different works of literature. And, and there was a thing after the Bali bombing when many Australians died where they found that one of the best ways of de-radicalizing someone is by letting them read large amounts of literature outside of just religious texts and stuff. But a lot of those things are seen as negative because... If you tell many Muslims, the more you read, the less radical you become. Their concern is on the other end of the scale. The more you read, the more atheist you become, like me, right? I got too smart for my own good, according to many of the Muslims I've spoken to. So the radicalization ends up happening because there's paranoia on the inside and on the outside. And everyone's got these weird hothouse issues in terms of what are they consuming uh, online and all those things. It is going to happen in every generation for a different reason. It used to happen... um, in the 60s and 70s, with communism and those ideologies, then in, in uh, the 40s and 50s, sorry, then in the 60s and 70s, it was more to do with leftist ideologies like the Badr Meinhof groups and those kind of people. Now it's Islamic thing. You know, 20 years from now, it'll happen because there'll be some offshoot of Zoroastrianism that suddenly decides we will fight the world and change the world, and there'll be kids doing things for that reason. Um, that's just part of the problem of having young people without enough cultural integration into the world. And I, I know I sound like Mark Latham when I use phrases like cultural integration, but you have to be able to have these conversations without idiots co-opting the language.
0: From our perspective, right. sounding like Mark Latham is great. I know, saying, that's
1: fair. I, I, yeah, all our haircuts should match his.
0: Charles, just a moment. Can we just step outside for a second? Mm. Look, I'm a bit troubled. That was a really sensible, mm. coherent, thorough approach to the problem of radicalization. But we can't sell that bosses, they'll never go for it.
2: No, I think we're going to just have to delete this part of the interview. Okay, good. Um, can you remember to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I never forget these sorts of things. Nobody will ever hear this part.
0: What about the time when you...
2: No, 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 that was different. No, no, revealed, I won't forget this. I, no,
1: I won't forget
2: this.
0: How will you make sure you remember? No,
2: I never forget.
0: You've forgotten all the times you've forgotten. I no, That's what's I, happened. You've uh, forgotten them all.
2: No, that was different. Okay, no, this time, trust me. Nobody's going to hear that part.
0: Okay. Let's go back in. Look, Sammy, what you say may be true, mm-hmm. uh, but oh. our standard approach here is instead to harangue people about Australian values and just insist that they What fit are in.
2: those? Do you want to have a, an Australian values test? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Give this me the list. Just to check up. Okay. What uh, do the majority of Australians believe in?
1: Um, Footy and beer.
2: Well, the actual answer is extended shopping hours on Thursday night mm-hmm. but um, unless you're I a small we'll business owner
1: for some reason yeah. yeah what is the most sacred ritual of the year it's oh, a tough one um uh, see, it depends. It varies from community to community. And by community, I mean city to city. We don't want subtleties. Um, That's not period. Yeah, Australian Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fine. The, the most sacred Australian ritual of the year would have to be um, barbecuing while listening to Triple J's Hottest 100.
2: That's a little bit ABC. A little bit ABC. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. Um,
1: it's really popular in country towns in WA. <laughs> That's all I can tell you.
2: Who holds the most powerful position within the Australian
1: government? The Queen? No. Oh. Um, what's oh, of course, sorry, about Andrew Bolt. It's actually Peter Dutton, although we
0: would, we would have accepted... No, Kant.
1: I'm still going with Andrew Bolt on that one,
0: yeah. <laughs> we would have accepted Rupert Murdoch, some, oh, or, something.
1: Right. Or Alan Jones,
0: yeah. Sammy, some of the wishy-washy radicals who used to work in our department before uh, Peter Dutton took it over reckon that Western suspicion of Islam
1: is actually part of the reason why... Uh, some Muslims radicalised. There's surely nothing in that, is there? Um, I think. Look, there's an. It's not the suspicion issue. It's how the suspicion is expressed. I think if you um, other a community enough, if you keep telling them you're terrorists, you're evil, you're terrorist, you're evil, you're terrorist, you're evil, they're gonna grow up going like, dude, you guys don't even accept me. You don't treat me as a human being. You don't see me as a human being. I don't respect you. I don't. I don't want to be a part of you. Right, and that's that's definitely one thing that that contributes to radicalization. It doesn't mean, if it meant that every Muslim that you treat that way turns into a terrorist, then most of Australia's Muslims would have become terrorists because they're not treated well a lot of times. Um,
2: well, but, that's our working assumption.
1: Right, yeah, absolutely. Mm. But at the same time, um, even though, I oh, mean, it's what, 3% of Australia is Muslim? There's a few hundred thousand Muslims?
2: Well, but if everyone has 4.5 babies, then... Yeah. It'll be majority Muslim within a generation.
1: Well, I don't think that's how it works. I think uh, it takes more than one generation. I think it might be... You obviously haven't been watching Q&A. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. I, I actually stopped watching it three years ago. I made a conscious decision. rather for my own mental health, I will no longer watch Q&A and I have not regretted it once. I don't... I just don't bother. Well,
2: that's actually fine with us because yeah. that's part of the ABC, which is also another known terrorist organization. That's right, organization of course. Yeah,
1: of a popular TV. terrorist organization.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Can I just see you outside, Dom? Sure, Charles. But what are we going to do?
0: Well, all that stuff about Triple J and Mm. he seems quite pro-ABC, actually, despite the Q&A skepticism. I
2: think think that might actually be more of a problem than the Islam stuff.
0: Yeah, look, Minister Dutton did say that the priority order on the watch list was Muslims, terrorists, and highest of all, the host of Q&A. Oh, yeah, that's chilling. Sammy Shark be the next Tony Jones, a Muslim Tony
2: Jones. Was it ex-Muslim?
0: Look, the checklist just says Muslim. I think we better tick it anyway. Let's see if we can press him on that. Sammy, you seem quite sympathetic towards the ABC. Yes, and Peter Dutton himself has condemned the ABC. None yes. of us even even watch it. What is your relationship with the ABC?
1: Um, currently, I work for them. I will admit, Sammy. I, am, I I I am a um, look. I'm a social media producer. For local radio. Uh, it means I, I I do Facebook posts we, at best. Um, you're not joking. No, that's a literal thing. But more importantly, and I've believed this since I first came to Australia and kind of looked around Australia as much as I couldn't research the country, I think it's the greatest cultural um, treasure that this country has. <gasps> and without it, we would be for it. I think the fact that in every country where there is a state-sponsored media that is as moderate and as um, middle of the road as possible with all its you know analysis and journalism and everything, and then gets accused of being leftist by Murdoch-owned media, when the same thing happens in America, same thing happens in England, same thing happens in Australia, um, the fact that there's a pattern there. Um, just goes to show why it's so important to hold on to the ABC. So we used to think that uh,
0: with the Chase, we used to work at the ABC Mm -hmm. for many years. We've since been de-radicalised. And uh, I think we can offer you a deal, can't we, Charles?
2: Yep, absolutely.
0: So look, the deal is, um, if you can help us from the inside, because in terms of our priorities here at Border Force, I mean, terrorism, sure. But it's the ABC that's the biggest threat to our way of life. Of course, I
1: can totally see that.
0: Particularly if you have, do you have control of the Twitter accounts at all? Maybe. (laughs) So, if you can perhaps just help further our agenda from the inside, Mm -hmm. we could make things very very good for you.
2: There's a lot of advertiser unfriendly thought crime going on at the ABC.
1: I don't even know what that means.
2: (laughs) Well... They're not open to sort of right. native content deals. Of and, course, of course. And sponsored they, they, they,
1: posts yeah. and things like and that. And there are also a lot of skeptics. Q&A brought to you by Adani. Like yeah, the, and uh, I, yeah. I think
0: really a lot more positive coverage of mining would be really good. Of course, of course. Pro-coal, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, Sammy, look, if you can help us out, we could make your life very comfortable indeed, couldn't we? Josh? But I'm Absolutely. already an
1: Australian citizen. Like, my life's already comfortable. No, I, I won my well, game.
2: No, this is the whole thing about Border Force, though, Sammy. Um,
1: well, technically... I don't fall under your purview anymore. You never, right? mm. Mm. see, because I'm a citizen. Well, no, no, now. this is why we've
2: awesome. got the super ministry going.
1: Yeah, but that's even then, I... you can still you can prosecute mm. me as an Australian citizen. Mm. Um. Which you we, know
2: we can do worse than send you back to Pakistan. Sammy, you it? can yes. keep we, that's we, not we, it. We, we're going to send, send you back you to, to northern. <laughs> yeah. Send you back to regional western <laughs> Australia. Yeah.
1: All right, play ball, or it's back to northern. Yeah, make it stop. Make the pain stop.
0: Extreme Vetting is recorded in the studios of Podcast One, written, presented and edited by Charles Firth and Dom Knight. The show is produced by Alex Mitchell, audio production by Nick Slater. The executive producer is Jamie Show. And to get in touch with us or for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.
2: Remember, no one is safe.